every toss, every whisper, every time the trees in the distance shuddered in the breeze, but the ones closest kept still, every bird on the wire, every memory, every gift left to be given. Over here, gentlemen. Hi. I have a table here for us. Afternoon, Start. Please not introduce yourself. Because I recognize you again. Things are dangerous. Times. 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 I'm Joe Stracci, and I better start writing this down. Episode 19. There is no harm here. I leave a lot out, out, out to tell the truth, the same when I write a story. story. I'm going to I'm start, start telling you what I left out of the house maybe make me wonder why I left it out. I forgive you, mother. I can hear you. It isn't much different. There was bright light before and bright light after. If you were here, my son, you'd point out that the bright light before was just the glare of the emergency room above me and that the bright light after was just a continuation of that same luminescence as I drifted in, and out, and in, and finally out, of consciousness. But I'm not doing this, writing this all down, to waste time talking about the past. It happened. It was me, and I was, And now I don't. And you are not here. So for once, I win a debate, free and clear. There is no one here, as a matter of fact. Here is a vast, beautiful place that I can only describe as Grand Canyon-esque, at least in its scope and size. It is expansive, piled, sheared. And when I say that there are no other people here, I mean any physical manifestation of them. Because I can feel them. I can sense them. A version of them finds a place in my mind in the rock formations, and in the plant life. And, of course, I feel silly even pointing this out. In the sunrises and sunsets. Their faces and their characteristics, the buzz and sputtering of their memory, come to me. I never picked them out 
or think them up. I discover them. I can hear the presence of their words being broadcasted from afar, but never the actual sentences. A radio tuned between stations, 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 stations. I should tell you how I got here. I arrived, came to really, as a car door slammed shut behind me. I turned around, but there was no car. I stretched a glorious stretch, pulled my shirt back down over my stomach when I was done. I blinked my eyes, widened them squatted a couple of times to lubricate my joints. There was no confusion about my time and place, no concern for my well-being. I should note that there was nothing in the opposite direction either. No overwhelming joy. No strummed harps. Just a centered presence and availability to an extent that, before, could only be dreamed about. The seconds during and after a drink of cold water on a hot day. The light, it was the sun, shapeless and high. A painful smear that hurt behind my eyes before looking away. And I knew. I remembered the accident, the seconds before, after, that there wasn't even enough time to gasp. I recalled it the same as a multiplication table, or a shopping list though, a list of interconnected facts to be repeated, but nothing more. There is wind here. There are rattling pebbles and shuffling grains of sand and the squawks of birds of prey overhead. I take it all in every day. I walk and sit and sleep and wake and move again. An obligation that fulfills, enriches, I never stop for fear or because I am tired. I stop because of an awareness over the course of the day that I should. It's a sensation that creeps forward without notice until it is at the forefront. Much in the way those power saver light bulbs reach their full brightness over a couple of minutes. The lights are on and then eventually, they are more on. I've collected all of the instructions, but I'll keep moving just a while longer. 
I've got some more to tell you. Tell you. When I first arrived, after my stretch, I realized that there was a rusted cattle gate ahead. It was worn by time in a way that seemed so appropriate, so apt. It was beautiful. On the ground in front of it, a wrapped present. Crisp purple paper, a dark purple bow. Inside, a yellow envelope. As I moved closer, I saw that my name was written in cursive on the front. I slid my finger under the flap and read. There is no harm here. You do, however, have one last choice to make. As a trial, you'll need to explore further to find out the world. I read the words again, a third time. Deep black ink on a thick, creamy, ivory card. I was intrigued, but not frightened. I tucked the card back in the envelope and began to walk. I still wasn't nervous, though. I walked out of a sense of necessity to adhere to the obvious logical thinking of something set in motion long before me. I walked because walking at that moment felt like exactly what I had been brought here to do, to do, to do, to do, There is brilliance. There is wonder. I can scrub through the days. It is, I am, a time-lapse video that requires no time to lapse. I send it backwards and forwards, up and down. The occasional sob or sniffle that floats its way through to me sounds like a chipmunk squeak. There's no wonder in the act, though. No magic. It gives off the feeling of something solid like driving a nail, like using a tool properly for its stated purpose. The result is satisfying, 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 Eventually, I came to a spot overlooking a cliff that cut down into a massive valley. It pitched and rolled forever in front of me, like time itself, like standing on another planet. There were two ochre rocks on the ground at the edge of the cliff, cradling another yellow envelope. Yellow envelope. Yellow envelope. There is no harm here. Permanent entrance to what lies beyond. Cost all of what you will be given. It is a cost you will never regret, and you will know nothing of what you turned down.
I wish I could say that I'd felt a desire to share the sight in front of me with you, and then was saddened when I realized that that was no longer possible. But it didn't happen that way. I am not capable of that track of thought now, and I have to report it isn't all too bad. Too bad. Too bad. I haven't eaten, but there is no hunger. I haven't drank, but there is no thirst. None of this surprises me, worries me. Entire classifications of thought have been struck from my conscience. I remember them in the abstract, like a quantity, but I can't experience them, smell or taste them, be affected by them. I include the mention of them here only because I know they are logical questions about what this has all been like. After I read the card between the rocks, I turned to my left and saw a path that led down into the valley. I followed it for an amount of time that I cannot calculate for you. I walked, hugging the canyon wall, tracing my fingers against it, lingering on the green and orange striations. I began to follow the sound of rushing water. I finally came to a river that cut through the valley and flowed beyond my line of sight, around a turn far off in the canyon. Scrub grew along the banks, dotted with wildflowers and lilac and sage. I came to a gnarled tree, a shape that stood outside of time, a shape that when I stared at it without focusing my eyes, was able to mold itself into any definition or configuration I wanted. The third note sat at the base, sat at the base, sat at the base, There is no harm here. You can, on the other hand, choose to use what you will be given in smaller amounts. You will never be able to serve, to render aid, or interfere. But you will be able to observe. You will be able, in subtle ways, to make your presence known. Each time, you will have less remaining of what you have been given. Continue. I did what the notes told me to do. I would say that there is no weather here, but that isn't true. I'm just not in tune with it the same as before. There is so much to recognize, but it all feels as if it has been cleansed, vanquished, purified. There's an overhead buzz at times, 
the drone of people coming and going, usually appearing during midday and before nightfall. I want to engage it, learn from it, but it whizzes by too quickly. It flutters and crackles. I discover, handle, kick at. I sift, observe, place my hand above my eyes, palm to the floor, and see for miles. Each time, it is an action, a motion, a sound, a reverberation that can be felt down through the ages. Each time it feels as though it will be received, be received, be received. I found the final note lying next to me one morning when I opened my eyes. The sun hadn't risen yet, but it would soon. A blue glow was cast across everything around me. sky that wants to be black. Above me, the stars are effervescent and alive, streaking this way and that. Through the night, I don't hear your voice, just the idea of your words once. If you see a star and it's moving, it's a satellite. It was the first time I realized that you knew things that I hadn't taught you. It was my job as a parent to awaken that impulse in you. To make sure that one day I was obsolete. I did my job. If you're reading this, you already know what I chose. And I have no idea If the you reading this is my son, or if you're just another person in the same situation. In all of the instructions that I received, there was no mention of letters, no mention of reusing the notes, of finding a plant that would bleed something that acted as ink. Everything here is purposeful though, so why not? As I said before, it isn't much different. When I'm finished, I will set my little bundle back in front of the cattle gate I began at. I don't know how I found it again. Maybe I was supposed to. While I was looking, 
I never felt any of the anxiety that would normally come along with limping. And I didn't feel any surprise or relief when I finally came across it. It just wasn't there, and then it was. It seemed like a logical place to bring this, though. As logical as any other place I've run across in my time here. I'm nearing the end of my allotment of what I was given. I couldn't help myself from using it. I don't know how much time has passed, or if time is even what is passing. I do know that the sleepless nights that I can feel coming across the wire, the tears, the wayward thoughts, the bills incurred and paid, the anxiety about what I left behind and how to appreciate it have lessened. And so what I've sent, I think, I hope, has helped. Every toss, every whisper, every time the trees in the distance shuddered in the breeze, but the ones closest kept still. Every bird on a wire, every memory, every gift left to be given. Time to fess up. As the transactions have piled up, I've watched myself fade with every step. My hands, my arms, my feet. The color is fading. The edges are blurring. There is a spreading translucency. I'm leaving behind traces of myself in this place. Adding a new layer onto everything that time created before me. That's the deal. I will become a part of the future of this place. I will become part of the landscape. Swallowed up. A base component. One day, I will be a set of arms that wraps the newest addition in an embrace. One day, I will be a bird of prey circling overhead. I will be the rusted cattle gate, the gift wrap on the box, the handwriting on the note, the water rushing through the canyon, the scent emitted from the lilac after being lingered on by a hand. This letter is my final expense. I won't fret over whether you will read it or not. I can't. It is not in the nature of my existence now. Regardless, I want you to know that one day I will greet you. I will bear witness. I will answer your call. And when I do, you will know that it is me. I will be a fiery sky, pink, red, purple, ablaze with another dying day. The clouds will pile mightily. The chatter of the eons will fall down from me. 
you will recognize the sound of the words. And when you see me in all my glory, I will whisper, We were all right, 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 right. The three or four people who read the early drafts of this story all asked a variation of the same question. What made you write about your mother's death this way? Actually, that's not totally true. The reality is that that's what I want people to ask me, because I already know my answer. It was an atheist's attempt to dream up a heaven for my mother that I could believe in. But before I do any more analysis, let's get the facts straight. 46 weeks ago, my mother was killed in a car accident, a hundred yards before she would have turned left onto the road that leads to my house. See, and here's the slippery slope of the truth. That's not true either. She didn't actually die until about three hours after the accident. In the same hospital, my wife gave birth to our eldest daughter in. The night of the accident, we kept waiting on an update in a private family waiting room next to the emergency room waiting room. The same emergency room we've visited twice since. The nurses gave my daughter graham crackers and milk. The family of the guy who hit my mother waited in a private waiting room across the hall from ours. The idea for there is no harm here, of my mother wandering around some southwestern afterlife alone, came to me on Father's Day. I was standing on the dock of my wife's family's lake house, smoking a cigarette and drinking a beer by myself, and the first line came to me. It isn't much different. It came to mean a lot of different things. The Father's Day celebration that was happening more or less exactly the same, except my mother wasn't there. And the peacefulness that I was experiencing at that moment, alone on the dock, listening to the water and the dock creaking, mimicked the peacefulness I'd dreamed up for her in the four months since her death. I guess I should explain that too. From a spot outside of my house, I can look down the hill and almost see the exact spot on the road where the accident occurred. At least I could back the end of March before the trees had leaves on them. Now that it's winter, I can again. And in the days after, I stood out there and smoked and talked to her. For about the first week after, I could have swore she responded. I didn't tell anyone. I was embarrassed by my belief in the idea that the coincidental gusts of wind that met the ends of my sentences were somehow purposeful, able to be read. More fiction. Because I know, and I guess you know now, that after a week, it stopped seeming so possible and I found myself stretching out my thoughts. Eventually, the conversation stopped being spoken out loud 
to hopefully catch the beginning of a gust of wind. Her gust of wind. Her. That's where the idea for her having a finite amount of power from beyond came from. My brother and I... See, I only put one sun, and there is no harm here. Because two suns would have been an extra layer of complication. Are both existentialists. And during one of our cigarette chats in the days after, he made the point that her death, in a fucked up way, validated our belief that life is just a chaotic minefield, and that if you somehow make it through, without managing to trip a wire, you weren't skilled or smart, just lucky. But doesn't that metaphor also suggest that someone planted the mines? People who believe in a god seem to, more often than not, ask the common question, what kind of god would do this when faced with a tragedy? I find it funny that I, in the face of my own tragedy, seem to turn in the opposite direction. For weeks, and sometimes still, I kept looking up at the sky, at swaying trees, darting birds and skittish dragonflies and thinking, hoping, that it was my mother. Maybe that's not a coincidence. My wife was 18 weeks pregnant when my mother died. My second daughter was born on August 25th, 2015, 11.19 p.m barely still Tuesday. On Friday, not even 24 hours since we'd come home from the hospital, in the mail came the checks from my mother's pension and life insurance. Later that day, I found my wife crying on the toilet, crying about the checks, just like I had when I first learned of them. She said, It's like she knew. Let me give you one less thing to worry about, I said, embodying, for a moment, my mother's thinking. My wife sniffled and nodded and tugged at the bloodied pads and wraps and bandages that were plugging up the after effects of our baby's exit. The story is pretty straightforward. Symbol-wise, there's a gate, some written words to reckon with before moving forward. Although honest, I didn't do that on purpose. If our bodies are given to the earth by way of burial or scattered ash, then we do get added, in a way, to what was here before us, and will be here once we're gone. And it only seems fair that, when we die, we don't have to deal with all the bullshit emotions that, for the most part, are the biggest downside of our existence. And there's another one. Fairness. An atheist looking to inflict some fairness on what happened to my mother. My mother took a trip 
couple of years ago to the Grand Canyon. I sent her with one of my old cameras, and she came back with pictures to show me. I understood in her inability to describe what she saw, and in the out-of-focus pictures. God, I wish I would have explained how to use the camera better. The beauty. The time elapsed. The majestic excavatory handiwork of icebergs that, in their wake, left the truth that could be used to illustrate our size compared to everything and everyone else in the grandest scheme of things. To prove once and for all just how close to meaningless we all actually are. The freedom, if used properly, that revelation can provide. In the aftermath, I've developed rehearsed responses for the people, fewer than you would think, who engage me on the topic. I tell them that I'm 31 years old, that I got 30 years with my mother, that I know plenty of people who barely got half that with their mother or father. I tell them that what really trips me up, I use a different phrase each time, instead of just saying, what makes me sad, because I'm a writer, and sad is a cliche, is that my mother got so little time to be a grandmother, which was a role that she deserved and relished, and in the not even two years that she got to be one, seemed to be pretty fucking good at. But it's probably not a coincidence that I frame there is no harm here as a letter from her to me. I came up with how to end this story while I was sitting outside smoking my evening cigarette on the patio. It isn't far from the spot where I once stood and spoke to my mother. I hardly do it now. I just plain forget. And when I do remember, I don't know what to say. At the time, at first, I thought I would never forget. I thought it would be therapeutic to think about, read as, tell someone, how and why I came to write, there is no harm here, and what it all meant and means. But then, I reread my own line. So for once, I wanted to be free and clear. Maybe I just didn't want to let my mother have the last word. At the end of it all, though, my mother is still dead. And my father, his story didn't make either cut. The fiction, or the truth about the fiction. Another unnecessary layer of complication, as he has still disappeared, also likely gone forever. Reduced to photocopies of a private investigator's attempts to locate him. Any questions I have about the parts of my childhood that I no longer remember will remain a mystery forever. There are only two things I am sure of. One, I am no longer, and will never again be, anyone's son. Two, I titled this story, There is no harm here, 
because that is the lie I wanted to allow my mother to tell. Because, unfortunately, there is harm here. For Jody Strachey. For more information about I Better Start Writing This Down, visit ibetterstart.net. This is the penultimate episode of season two of I Better Start Writing This Down. We'll talk more next week about the future of the show. If you want to support my show, there are three things you can do. One, pledge a dollar or two at patreon.com forward slash I Better Start. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash I better start. Once you've done that, and thank you so much for supporting me if you do, you can, two, rate the show on iTunes. If you already have, thank you. Now convince a friend to. Rating the show in iTunes moves us onto an up list and in front of new eyeballs and hopefully into new ears. After that, you can 3. Spark some chatter about the show on social media. Share our Facebook posts. Tag a friend in the comments on our Instagram pictures. Retweet our tweets. I know it's stupid. Hashtag. Hashtags are stupid. But it helps to attract new listeners to the show. And that's what we really need to grow. I Better Start Writing This Down is sponsored by Audible. If you go to audibletrial.com forward slash I better start, you can get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial and help to support the show all at the same time. That's not nothing, you know. Audible has over 150,000 titles to choose from. One title that I think IBS WTD listeners would enjoy is No Country for Old Men by Cormac McCarthy. Close listeners of this podcast will understand this choice. I'm looking at you, episode 18. And besides that, it's a terrific book, one that feels like it would be really fun to listen to. So why not go to audibletrial.com forward slash I better start and download No Country for Old Men for free. Again, that's audibletrial.com forward slash I better start to help support the show and in return, receive a free audiobook and a 30-day free trial. I Better Start Writing This Down has a social media presence that was carrying fire and a horn the way people used to do. SoundCloud, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, we're everywhere. All you need to remember, our username in all of those spaces, I Better Start. That's it. Hopefully, you wrote it down. Oh.
yeah, we're not playing on the side of the road. Arms in, come on. I'm, we're on the side of the highway. Look. We're on the side of the highway, Dada. Is the house here? No, the house is not here. We still have some driving to do. I'm glad I asked you. If you have to go, you have to tell us. My really can't keep you ready. Why are we having kids now? Because why? Because why? Yeah. I don't know. I ask myself every day. Yeah.